If you brought your Bibles with you today, I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, or you can follow along with me in your bulletins as you would prefer. Uh, this is now the fourth sermon in this short series on the spiritual disciplines, those practices that have been given to us in the Word of God and practiced throughout the history of the church that help us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so far, what we've considered together is that in this growth in our Lord Jesus Christ, we should make every effort. We saw that from 2 Peter chapter 1, that we should make every effort. And then following that, we saw the discipline of cogitation. And what I meant by that is that we should do our best to have our minds set upon the Lord himself, as we're instructed to do in Scripture, to gird up the loins of our mind so that it's ready for this struggle, this struggle for growth in this world. And then in the third sermon, we talked about the discipline, this was last Sunday, of mortification and vivification, this idea uh, that we are to put off the old man, the vices that were characteristic of us, prior to knowing Christ and that oftentimes still cling to us and then put on the virtues of the new man, the virtues of being in Christ which are found in various places in scripture. And then today we're looking at the discipline of evangelization, okay? So we looked at the discipline of cogitation and then mortification, vivification, and then today of evangelization. Now, let me read this very wonderful and familiar passage to us and then we'll reflect on this theme as I do so. Please remember, this is the living word of our living God. He is here, he is present with us today, and through this word read and this word proclaimed, it is God himself who is communicating and communing with us. From 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Lord, we thank you for this word. We pray that today, as your people, you would give us ears to hear, give us minds to think about these things, give us hearts that are freshly filled with the power of your spirit, that are set ablaze by the work of your spirit inside of them so that we can pursue you with every, every fiber of our being. Help us to that end as we hear your word. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Today's sermon 
is not complicated. It is not easy, mind you, but it is in no way complicated. You, you will no doubt understand what the message is today. I called it the discipline of evangelization for the rhyming effort, by which I mean the discipline of sharing your faith with those who do not know Jesus. Evangelization, uh, evangelical, evangelism. Those words all derive from a Greek word, both in its verbal form and in its noun form. In its verb form, it is euangelizo, and in its noun form, it is euangelion, and I only mention that for one reason, and that is because these words, evangelical, evangelist, evangelization, evangelism, they're all just transliterations of that word. That's all they are. They're just th that word turned into an English word, and they all have basically the same meaning to them. And the meaning they have is to bear good news or to be the bearer of good news. And oftentimes then when we find uh, that word in the noun form, it is translated for us gospel, right? It is the good news that we have to bear unto this world. We have received good news and we are to share good news. You may now go home. That is, that is the message of today's sermon. We have received good news and we are to share the good news of Jesus Christ. That is our mission. I called it evangelization again for the sake of uh, rhyming. But mission is the word I would actually prefer. This sermon then is the discipline of having a missional mindset of having a missional intent and of actually making a missional effort as a regular, habitual practice in our lives. That's what we're talking about. Now, one could argue that this isn't actually a discipline as such, but rather it's the fruit of the other disciplines that we would share our faith. Or that it isn't a discipline in so much as it rather is really just simple obedience to the great commission that Jesus has given to his church. And frankly, I appreciate that argument. I understand that argument. I could make that argument. If you made that argument, I'd probably be persuaded by that argument. But the reason that I want to include it in this series, even though brief, on, on the spiritual disciplines, is because of the reality that, is, that it is just so easy otherwise to forget it, to ignore it, to neglect it, to avoid or just plain actually just never get around to actually sharing your faith with another person, even though you know that you've received this good news and should share this good news, you actually just find that in your life you just never do it. You never get around to actually opening your mouth. Donald Whitney is a writer on the spiritual disciplines, and he says it this way, unless we discipline ourselves for evangelism, evangelism 
It is very easy to excuse ourselves from ever sharing the gospel with anyone. End quote. I think that I tend to agree with that. I think he's right. I think that's true. I know that that can be true for me. And honestly, I think it's probably true for a lot of us. I just think it's probably true for us that we just never get around to this. We need then this as a discipline because otherwise we tend to neglect it. That's not good, but it is often true. But there's a second reason. There's a second reason I want to put it in the category of the disciplines. And that is because when we are engaged in this process, this moment of sharing our faith, of bearing witness to Christ, of evangelization, it has the effect of supercharging all of the other disciplines. It invigorates all of the other disciplines. It, it energizes them. And let me just give two examples that I trust will be very obvious to you if, if you spent a moment reflecting on this. We all know that, and I've mentioned it in every one of the sermon series thus far, and we'll continue to mention it again today in this, uh, seri this sermon as well, that prayer is one of the spiritual disciplines that God has given to us that we might grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I suggest to you that if you are engaged in sharing your faith, in sharing the gospel with someone else, you will pray. If there are other times in your life where you struggle to pray, if you are sharing your faith with someone, you will absolutely pray. In the first place, you will pray for yourself because you will be confronted with how woefully inadequate you are to the task that is before you. You will be scared. You will be nervous. You will be wondering, what is the next thing I'm supposed to say? Lord, is there a verse that should come to mind right now? What is the verse? Tell me what it is. It will invigorate your prayer life. Not only will you pray for yourself, but you will most definitely pray for the person who isn't sitting in front of you. You will do it right in that moment. It will invigorate your prayer life if you are sharing your faith. Now let's take another example as well. Uh, in, in the sermon on uh, cogitation, the discipline of cogitation, of developing a biblical mind and mindset, I talked about the discipline of memorizing scripture. And when you are sharing your faith with another person, I guarantee you that at that moment, you are going to see the necessity of memorizing scripture or at least of references, or at least of being able to open your Bible, to turn somewhere, to show someone a passage, and to be able, to some level, explain that passage to them, explain that verse to them. You will want to be able to answer the questions that they have in that moment with Scripture, and so you will dig into the Word of God with greater zeal when you are sharing your faith. So I think that having a missional focus as a discipline is absolutely critical for us. Now, what I'd like to do is look at this passage from 1 Peter. What I've tried to do uh, in this series is at least uh, to anchor it in uh, 1 and 2 Peter. And that just gives the series a little bit of coherence and perhaps makes it easier to go back to and to reflect on. Now, if you would like an in-depth sermon on either the first two verses here, 9 and 10, or the second two, 11 and 12, I would refer you back to when I just preached 
on 1 Peter. Those sermons are available online. But today, what I want to do is just look at them and be very simple and very clear about these four verses that are before us. Think of them as two couplets, okay? Just probably written that way in your bulletins. Two couplets, verses 9 and 10, and then verses 11 and 12. And both of these couplets address the mission that God has given to us to bear witness of the good news of Jesus Christ to the world. In verse 9 of the first couplet, we read that phrase, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And then verse 12 speaks of the witness of our lives before the world so that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's the exact same idea that I put on the front of your bulletin uh, from our Lord himself who said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So in this first couplet, verses 9 and 10, the mission of proclamation is tied directly to who God has made and formed, or you could say who God has remade and reformed us to be. In other words, the good news of who Jesus is and what Jesus did granted to us this new identity that is described here. This new identity. Once you were not a people, once you were no people, now you are his people. Now you are God's people. Once you were a merciless people without mercy in the world, and now you are a merciful people because you have received the mercy of God, and then all of the other glorious descriptors that are contained in verse 9. And the idea here is very simple. Missions and missional focus and missional intent flow from that identity. Flow from the identity of who you've been made and remade to be. Missions flows out of that. So you can take a piece of wood and you can take a piece of metal and you can join those two things together and you can make out of them a shovel. And if you make a shovel, you make a shovel for the purpose of digging. And if you join them and cut them in a different way, you can make a saw. And when you have a saw, it is for the purpose of cutting. Or you can have a hammer and you can do the same thing in a different configuration and the purpose of the hammer is to drive something in, to drive it down into the wood that you've got. God has formed us and reformed us with a particular purpose in mind. And part of the purpose for which he has done that reforming is that we might be a people that proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into marvelous light. You may not realize that that's what you look like, but that's whom you've been fashioned to be. You've been fashioned to be that kind of a people. Now compare this idea to Isaiah 43. Look, look in your Bibles uh, at that, not in your Bibles, in your bulletins, uh, or you can use your Bibles, uh, at, at that passage that Jack read for us earlier. Now, many of us absolutely love Isaiah 43, to which I say yay and amen, because these first seven verses of this passage are just absolutely extraordinarily wonderful. 
in all of the things that they say and all of the descriptions that they give to us about what had God has done for his people. But what I also want us to note is that the passage continues beyond that. The passage continues with this idea that the identity that we have been given because of this redemption that God has accomplished of us and for us, it births in us mission. Okay, look, look at verse 10. It births in us vision, mission. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. You want to know what all of this has served to accomplish? It served to accomplish that you are my witnesses. Verse 12, verse 12, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Jesus uses the exact same words. Upon having granted new birth to the new community through his resurrection and in the immediate context of his ascension, what does Jesus say? Jesus says to his disciples and through them to the church, you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts 1, 8. Isaiah continues this. This is now not in your bulletin, but it was, it was a little bit long. But picking up in verse 20 of chapter 43, we read this. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself. Once you were not a people, now you are the people of God. The people whom I formed for myself. God, why did you form them? 21, that they might declare my praise. A declarative people. God has formed a declarative people. Now, surely that applies to the worship of God, to the things that we're doing right now as well. But it applies, as Jesus makes perfectly clear beyond that, you shall be my witnesses in this world. And that's what Peter is saying as well as he picks up on that same theme, basically quoting this verse in our passage in verse 9. In, in uh, verse 12 of 43, it says, or God says, I declared and saved and proclaimed. It's as if then in 21, God says, I did it. You do it. You do it. You declare. You proclaim that I have saved that I have come into this world offering salvation. All right, in the second couplet, in the second couplet here then in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, we see Peter connecting the discipline of mortification and vivification in verse 11 with the mission of evangelization in verse 12. All right, so verse 11, and I quoted this verse last week in the Sermon on Mortification and Vivification, describes that warfare. Okay, abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now, every time that that's mentioned, it doesn't say the other thing, to put on. So there is an abstaining that takes place, and then there is a putting on that takes place as well. But that's what he's talking about here. And then verse 12 shows us that this warfare isn't only about us as Christians. It is about the world as well. So last week we're talking about the discipline of mortification and vivification. It isn't just 
for the sake of our souls before God. Now it is, and please don't hear this as in any way trying to diminish that. We should be holy because the Lord is holy. But what Peter is saying here is that it is also that we can join and serve well in God's mission. The warfare that you're experiencing, the training that you're experiencing is for the sake of the world. When the world looks, when the world sees you, it, it's going to say they're an evildoer. It's going to speak of you as an evildoer. Your efforts in mortification and vivification will silence the world so that they are forced instead to see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of the visitation. So think of it this way, a soldier in basic training, right? A soldier in basic training goes through all sorts of training and exercises, much of it physical, in order to train his body, her body, I know, whatever, um, to be as strong as it possibly can uh, for the sake of the warfare. And, and that person is individually getting stronger, right? So, so individually they're getting stronger, but with a mission in mind. They're not just getting stronger for the sake of getting stronger, they're getting stronger for the sake of being in the mission, the war that God has for, or that exists on a country level, but for us that God has established in this world. And so the idea that Peter has here is as sojourners and exiles, and he's, he's kind of playing with these terms here. On the one hand, he's saying you're sojourners and exiles, on the other hand, he's saying you're a holy nation, you're a chosen people, you're a royal priesthood, you've got all of the callings that you could possibly have as a people. As sojourners and exiles fighting our flesh in this fallen world, we are actually deployed as God's missionary people wherever we are. You are not here by accident. You are not in your neighborhoods by accident. You are not at your workplaces by accident. It is in fact a deployment by God. So call it what you will, call it missions, call it evangelization, call it bearing witness to the world. It is a fundamental part of the very essence of who we are as God's people. And if you don't feel it, if you don't do it, you won't feel it energizing all of the other parts of the call that has been given to us. The closer the closer that we get as a people to the heart of Jesus, the more we want to extend the heart of Jesus unto the world because that is what is on the heart of Jesus. The extension of his heart into this world. That the world may know that the Father might be glorified in the Son. Nevertheless, it takes discipline to do that. You might think, you might like to think that it would come naturally, that it wouldn't take a sermon urging us to do it, but it takes discipline to actually do it. Again, from Donald Whitney. We must discipline ourselves to get into the context of evangelism. That is, we must not just wait for witnessing opportunities to happen. End quote. So, let's take the final part of this sermon then and get down to absolute brass tacks. Think of this, if you will, as one of those articles on fitness. 
I periodically read the articles on fitness because it makes me either feel worse or it gives me an idea. Um, but if you read one of those articles on fitness, it starts off with all of the good stuff, all of the why and all of the benefits and things like that. And then you get down and it says, all right, here are the five exercises that will help you strengthen your core or whatever it may be. So this is that. This is that part. These, these are the things. And I've got six of them for you. How do we develop this discipline, put it into practice? The first, you ought be expecting, the first thing is to pray to pray. Jesus said, pray like this, thy kingdom come. The Westminster Shorter Catechism and the Larger Catechism as well say that when we pray, thy kingdom come, amongst other things, what we are praying is for ourselves and for others to be brought into it. Pray. Pray. Pray for your neighbors by name. Pray for your colleagues at work by name. Pray for the family members who don't know the Lord by name and pray for them over and over and over again. Pray that the Lord of the harvest will bring them into the harvest. Pray for missions. Pray for missionaries. Pray for the outreach that, that, that takes place through the missionaries that are sent out by this church or by the other many missionaries that you know. If you need to, make it a day of the week when you pray especially for missions. Pray for boldness. In one of the classic passages on this, Paul writes to the Ephesians, concluding with this, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in the opening of my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Paul prays and asks them to pray themselves for him that he would be able to open his mouth boldly and with clarity and declare the gospel. Pray that God will give you boldness and the ability to open your mouth with the words of the gospel. Pray for compassionate hearts. Last week we were looking at Colossians chapter 3, and one of the commands, one of the virtues was put on compassionate hearts. That's a prayer I pray all the time with respect to the lost. Lord, I don't have it in and of myself. Give me a compassionate heart for those who do not know you. Pray for opportunities to share the gospel and for the eyes to see those opportunities. Do you pray it? Do you pray exactly like this? I've sometimes prayed it from the pulpit before. Pray, Lord, give me an opportunity today to bear witness to you in some way. Or give me an opportunity this week to bear witness, to speak of you in some way to someone. Pray. Secondly, prepare. Prepare. Memorize a few great verses. A few great verses, store them up in your mind, furnish your mind with them. Memorize your own story. I know I've shared this before and I'm sure this is true for many of us. When I was a very young Christian, I think maybe a year old in the faith, I sat down and had someone work with me and teach me how to write my own testimony and then memorize my own testimony. 
my story. What was my story of how I came to know the Lord? And it was checked and it was rechecked and it was three minutes long. Can you share your testimony, your story, in a clear, concise way that gives glory and honor to the Lord for what's taking place in your life? Memorize scripture, memorize your own story so that you can convey it when you have the opportunity to do so. Come to missions presentations that go on in the church that your heart might be stirred. Like last Wednesday evening or a couple of Wednesday evenings uh, ago when we had Oakseed come and present to us. Come, listen, let your hearts be stirred by that. When you hear of a friend in the church who shared the gospel with somebody and said, I just shared that, had an opportunity to talk to my friend, look at them and say, hey, how did you do that? Prepare yourselves. And there are any number of books that are out there that can be read on questions that people ask or on ways to share your faith or ways to use your home to open it up for the gospel, ways to be hospitable. To, so prepare. Third, plan. Think and assess your life. life. Some opportunities to share the gospel arise, if you will, naturally or spontaneously uh, when we were not planning them. So uh, two days ago, I was walking the dog, and I was walking the dog. I was all of a sudden in, engaged in a conversation with a neighbor, and the next thing I knew, I was talking about the dietary laws and the sacrifices and things like that. I didn't plan it. It just happened as I was walking along with the dog. Some are spontaneous, others are planned. Paul, we heard about this last Sunday evening, went to Philippi, the apostle, on a trip that was planned and yet directed and redirected by the Lord. And when he got to the city, he went to the place of prayer, which was his custom, either a place of prayer or a synagogue. And there he spoke about the good news of Christ. And Lydia was saved there. It was planned, planned. That was his strategy. That's what he sought to do, was to go to that particular place. It wasn't Paul's plan afterwards, shortly thereafter, to be arrested. It wasn't his plan to be in jail when an earthquake would come and open up all of the doors of the prison. But there was a spontaneous opportunity, and it resulted in the Philippian jailer coming to Paul saying, what must I do to be saved? It wasn't planned, it wasn't planned at least by Paul. It was, of course, planned by God. And Paul's ready. Paul is able in that circumstance to do it. Plan. Where do you spend your time? With whom do you spend your time? Now, most of you know this already because I reference it periodically. There are very specific reasons why you will find me on any number of mornings during the week at Panera with my Bible open, with all of my books spread out there upon the table, preparing for a sermon. Amongst the reasons, and there are several, but amongst the reasons are so that I'm around non-Christians as a pastor, so that I'm not cloistered as a pastor, but so that I have opportunities to build relationships with non-Christians and to talk to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two weeks ago, uh, I, I was, I, sometimes they get tired of me talking about that, so you know, I have to watch this as well. But two weeks ago, as I was walking out, I said to two of my buddies, I said, all right, here's the word of the week. The word of the week for the sermon is mortification and vivification. Figure it out. I walked out the door. So the next day, I walk in the door, and they're like, hey, we got the definitions of mortification and vivification. They even knew how to say it. Um, and, uh, and we talked about it. So this week, I go in, and a guy asked me, what's the word of the day? 
And I thought to myself, evangelization, that's such a weird word. I'm not even, if, if mortification and vivification are weird words, evangelization might even be a weirder word to people. So I thought, I'm not going to say anything. I didn't say, I said, I don't have a word uh, of the day for you. And I sat down and I thought, you, you, you fool, you fearful fool, get back up. And so I had another opportunity. I said, all right, here's the word of the day. The word of the day is evangelization. And I basically did what was the intro of the sermon today with that guy. And, and <laughs> he's a Jewish guy. And he said to me, well, everybody should be like that. And everybody should believe that. And I said, yes, exactly right. Bingo, on the nose. That's what we, sh everybody should believe this good news about Jesus. Plan, participate for in your community. Participate. You've got to be part of your community. Participate in clubs, in sports, uh, in service opportunities in your community. Walk your neighborhoods. Open your home, your life, your time to non-Christians. One writer I was reading this week said, make it your goal that your home would be known as the most hospitable home on the block. Rosaria Butterfield did not write that line, but she would certainly appreciate that line that our homes are places of hospitality where people can come in and experience and then hear of the good news of Christ. And then point number five is this. Proclaim. Proclaim. First Peter 2.9 that we've looked at together says, proclaim that you may proclaim. We have to open our mouths. Good deeds adorn the gospel. They give evidence to the gospel, but they cannot save People cannot be saved with your good deeds. They can only be saved with the word of faith, with the word of the gospel being shared with them that they might believe in Christ. Get your mouth used to speaking of God. It could be small at first. And, and I'm, not, I, I'm not trying to pretend here. Maybe I'm wrong in this, but this is the sense that I get, that for many of us, it's hard to share anything. It's hard to even say God to a non-Christian. Sometimes that's the case. And, and you have to get your mouth used to being able to speak of Jesus Christ. In thanksgiving, in praise, just saying to someone, I'll pray for you. You know, they've told you something that's sad or difficult that's happened in your, their lives. I'll pray for you. Uh, but get your mouth used to responding to that then you can graduate with that into other things as well. You can advance in your conversations that you have with other people. And invite. Invite people to come to the church. When's the last time, I don't, no show of hands, when's the last time you invited someone seriously to come to church? Think about it. When's the last time? You know how every study that's done shows the same thing. That when non-Christians come to a church, Christians, they'll look online and they'll find uh, what they're looking for online. The way 90% of non-Christians come to church is because you invited them. Because someone took the time to invite them. So you've got to invite your friends to church, to your Bible studies, whatever it is. All right, here's the last one. We've got so far pray and prepare and plan, participate, proclaim. And the last one is believe. No P. Believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That was the response, right, to the Philippian jailer. And he and his household were saved. 
They believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Believe that God has called you and empowered you to proclaim and bear witness. You. Believe. Believe that God has stationed you where you are for such a time as this. That's the phrase. We love that phrase in the extreme situation of Esther. For such a time as this, perhaps you were there. But it's true for all the times that aren't as extreme as that time also. You are stationed where you are for such a time as this. Believe that God can use you, even you. Believe in the power of the gospel, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the power of the living and active Word of God. Believe that God still has people in the world that are now, at this moment, unsaved, and yet they are part of His chosen flock, His appointed ones. And believe that at the perfect time, through the communication of the Word to them, the Holy Spirit will say, this is the day of salvation for that person. Believe that. That's how God has always saved. It is his power at work in the world to open their ears and their minds, their eyes and their hearts. God says, Isaiah 43, you are created and formed by me for my glory. You are called by my name. You are mine. You are precious. You are honored and I love you. And he says one more thing. You are my witnesses. Believe it. That's what he said. That's the plan. You are my witnesses. Make every effort then to be who you are that the world may know. Lord, we thank you for the power of the gospel. It is your power unto salvation for this world. Lord, help us not to be ashamed of it. Help us not to be deterred by fear. Help us not to avoid the declaration, the proclamation, the sharing of the good news that you have given to us. Instead, grant us opportunities, grant us boldness, clarity of speech, grant us remembrance of your word that we might proclaim. Jesus, you have brought to us, through whatever means, the great news of the salvation that you have given. And we give you thanks and praise. And we pray that you would help us to share it with others. And we pray this in your name. Amen.